our series, The Seven Last Words of Jesus. And we've been looking at the last seven statements Jesus made when he died on the cross. And the first week we looked at when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And we talked about how Jesus was able to forgive the people who were murdering him in the midst of them murdering him. And we just see the power of God's grace and forgiveness. And we talked about the time when that happened in our lives and God transformed us. And then last week, we looked at when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And we looked at the conversation Jesus has with one of the thieves that he was executed with. And today we're going to look at the last statement Jesus made on the cross according to Luke's gospel. And so we're not necessarily doing these in chronological order. Um, if you're kind of OCD, it kind of bothers you. It kind of annoys me because I'm like, we should do these in order. There's no rule for that, but I'm just like, oh, that just kind of grates at me. But anyway, so if that's how you feel, I'm with you on that. It's kind of frustrating. But we're going to look at the last statement he made um, according to the Gospel of Luke. So I want to read our scripture to us, and it's printed in your bulletin. It'll be up on the screen behind me. This is Luke 23, 44 through 49. And Luke writes, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you, and God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask right now that you would come and you would speak and you would teach us. Lord, nobody needs to hear anything from me, but we ask that you would speak. So Holy Spirit, open up our hearts to your word, open up your word to us, and Lord, let us be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... You've all heard the phrase, it all comes down to this, right? We've heard that phrase before, it all comes down to this. That's a phrase that gets used a lot in our language and our culture. It's talking about how some kind of event or situation, maybe some circumstance, something really big will come down to just kind of this one singular moment. You know, where some situation, some debate, a war, an election, you know, whatever you want to say, comes down really to just kind of this one moment this one just kind of event. You know, for example, in sports, you hear this phrase a lot in sports if you're a sports fan. Um, I'm a big NBA fan, for example. And so I love watching the NBA. And then when a game comes down to the final shot, you know, they've played, they, the, the game's gone on, and then it comes down to that last second shot and make it, they win, miss it, they lose. It all comes down to that one moment. You know, we see this in football with, like, for example, a last second field goal. You know, the whole game comes down to that one play. Our justice system is like this. If you think about trials, they all come down to the verdict. You know, in a trial, you've got lawyers and opening statements and arguments and evidence and witnesses and closing arguments and all that. But it all comes down to what the jury says. That's the whole ball game. Presidential elections are actually like this. It's kind of crazy to think about. Um, 100 million people or so vote every presidential election cycle. And Every time it comes down to a handful of states and the way they vote electorally, every time. And it's kind of crazy to think about. 
But just that idea that it all comes down to this. We know that phrase. And in that case, this phrase is pretty accurate, I would say, in describing what takes place here in Luke 23, 44 through 49. You know, we can say it all comes down to this. And what I mean is that this passage, the gospel really comes down to what takes place in these six verses. What is recorded here, this is really the heart and soul of the gospel. I mean, this is the ball game right here. This is the whole ball of wax, whatever phrase you want to use. The gospel really comes down to what goes on here. And in this passage, it's pretty cool. This is like, you want to talk about high stakes? It's this passage. I mean, the stakes don't get any higher than what's happening here in these six verses. Because in these verses, this is the showdown between Jesus and Satan. And it's a showdown between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. It's a showdown between salvation and sin. It's the final showdown between righteousness and unrighteousness. It's the showdown between heaven and hell. And it's a showdown between life and death. I mean, this is it. And you want to talk about the biggest stakes ever. It is these six verses and what Luke records here. And this is really the ballgame. And the reason I say this is the ballgame is this. Christianity and the heart of the gospel comes down to the cross and Jesus crucified. That's it. I mean, that's the heart of the gospel is the cross and Jesus dying for our sins. That's the ballgame. And so Luke records that in these six verses. And this is the heart of the gospel message, what we see here in Luke 23, 44 through 49. Paul said it like this in second, um, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, it's a pretty incredible statement because you think about who Paul was. And Paul was this amazing missionary, this great theologian. He wrote most of the New Testament. Here was a guy who performed countless miracles, healed people. He preached sermons. Paul was amazing. He would go into a city. He would preach. And either he would cause a revival or there would be a riot and people would try to kill him. I mean, he was just this incredible guy. And despite how amazing his ministry was, he said the ball game for him was Christ crucified. Because he is saying that's what the gospel is about, and that's what it comes down to, is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And so what we want to do today is we want to look at the cross just kind of on a deeper level. We want to go through this passage and just kind of unpack really what happened here when Jesus died for you and me. I know that for a lot of you, you're Christians, and this is not going to be new information, and I get that. But we really want to make sure we understand the fullness and the power of all that took place that day. Because it's really important, because this is the heart of the gospel. So what we want to do is we're going to go through this passage just verse by verse, in some cases phrase by phrase, and really talk about what's going on here. Because it's easy to read this, and you may not know exactly all the context and what everything is kind of being discussed and addressed. And so we need to be people who are educated about the cross. And so we're going to attempt to do that today by going through this passage. And so, like I said, we're going to go through this just a verse at a time, maybe a phrase at a time. And we're going to see all that really took place 2,000 years ago. So we're going to start in verse 44, and it'll be up on the screen. This is the first thing we want to look at. Luke writes, it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, 
for the sun had stopped shining. So quick review about what's taking place up until now. Jesus, he's been arrested, he's been convicted, he's been sentenced to die. And he has been hanging on the cross since about nine in the morning. So Luke picks up here, Jesus has been slowly bleeding out and suffocating to death for three hours. And that's the first half of what takes place on the cross. And so this verse picks up in, um, with noon. So Jesus, he's been there three hours. It's amazing that he's even lasted three hours. And he's got another three hours to go. But it's interesting. It says he's there from noon to three. But it makes a strange statement. It says, and the sun stopped shining. That this darkness came over the land. Now, again, you read that at first, it's like, well, that's kind of weird. What's going on? This is huge, what this is um, addressing and really talking about. And so it goes dark. Now, you got to understand, this is not it got really cloudy and the sun, you know, it kind of dimmed a little. I mean, the lights go out. Now, noon, it's usually the brightest part of the day. So it's pretty strange. And this is a supernatural darkness. And what's taking place is there's a couple of things going on. The reason it goes dark is, number one, God the Father turns his face away because he can't bear to watch his son be murdered. God the Father is in heaven, and his child is being brutally murdered, and he just can't take it anymore. I mean, for those of you who are parents, just imagine if you had to watch your child die. I don't have kids. I have nieces. I couldn't even imagine with them. And God the Father, he's our dad. Jesus is his beloved son. And it just killed him to watch his son die this way. That's the first thing that's going on. God just turns his countenance away. Number two, the sin of world, your sin and my sin, everybody's sin is put on Jesus. And Jesus has got the weight of the sin of humanity on him. And God just can't look at that either. He can't take it. His perfect son has got the sin of the world on him. But lastly, what's going on is this darkness also represents God's judgment. Darkness in Scripture represents God's judgment. Let me read a couple of verses to you. This is out of the book of Amos, which is in the Old Testament. This is Amos 5.18, and it says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness and not light. And then Amos 8.9 says, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And so Amos is talking about the day of the Lord and darkness, and the day of the Lord speaks of God's judgment. And what's going on here is that the sin of humanity has been placed on Jesus, and God the Father has to judge it. And so this darkness is kind of an expression and a symbol of the judgment. You and I are sinners. We deserve to be judged. But Jesus takes our sin, but he had to receive God's judgment for it. So that's what the darkness represents. It represents God's judgment upon your sin and my sin. And Jesus takes it for us so God doesn't have to judge us in that way. So that's the first part of what's going on here. And I think that's pretty cool. That's the first part of the cross. Now, let's go to verse, uh, second half of verse 45. And it says, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, this is really cool. This is, I just, I love this part. Now, you read that at first, and it's kind of like, What? I mean, Luke gives no explanation, no context. And apparently there's some curtain that got torn. This must be a really nice curtain to mention it in the Bible. I mean, when I hear curtain, I'm like, curtain on a window, shower curtain. I mean, it's just like, what is he talking about? 
here's the deal. In the uh, city of Jerusalem, they had the temple of the Lord, which was God's temple under the Mosaic law, the house of worship. And in the temple, they had what was known as the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a room where God's presence resided on the earth. And this was a room that had three walls, and then there was one wall missing. And that last place where that wall should have been, there was this huge curtain. And this curtain was really big. It was about 60 feet tall and about four inches thick. I mean, that's a serious curtain, okay? And what's going on here is the reason that curtain is there is because it separates sinful people from a holy God. God's presence is in the Holy of Holies, and our sin keeps us out of God's presence, and that's why that curtain is there. It's a divider. It's a barrier between humanity and God because of our sin. Now, this is where it gets, I think, kind of cool and really weird. So, hear this. Nobody was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies except the high priest once a year. The high priest under the Mosaic Law, he went into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. Now, this is, I just think this is so cool and weird. He had to go in there, repented of all of his sin, and accounted for all of his sin, because if he went in there and he had sin in him, he died. Because sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And so there was a long time of preparation for the high priest to get his heart ready to go into the Holy of Holies. I mean, I get kind of nervous sometimes when I have to, like, preach, but I'm not going to die if I preach a bad sermon. This guy would go into God's presence, and there's no guarantee he's coming out. I mean, that's high-stakes pastoring, if you ask me. I think that's pretty crazy. And so he goes into the Holy of Holies, and the way it worked is he had to wear these certain garments, and... What they did, the Jews did, is they tied bells to his garments. And the other priests would stand outside the Holy of Holies, and they would listen. And if they could hear the bells ringing, that meant that the high priest wasn't dead and that he was ministering to the Lord. But if the bells stopped ringing, that means he died because of his sin. And so what they did is they tied a rope to his leg, and they fed it under the curtain before he went in. So if he died, they drug him out. That is high stakes repentance right there. I mean, I'd be like, I do not want to be the high priest. But that's what happened. I mean, that's how serious it was, how sin can't go into God's presence. And this curtain was what divided us from God's presence in the temple. So, when Jesus died and this curtain is torn, what that symbolizes is that the barrier between us and God that kept us from him because of our sin is no longer there because Jesus has taken care of it. So because we are sinful people, but because of Christ's death, his blood, his forgiveness, and his righteousness, we can now enter into God's presence and have right relationship with him. And that's what it means when the curtain was torn. Now, you just read that verse by itself. It's kind of like, what is Luke talking about? But when you understand the background, it's really amazing that Jesus' death created the way for us to enter into God's presence, and our sin no longer keeps us separated from him. Paul says it like this in Hebrews chapter 10. He goes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. And so we want to understand that Jesus' death, the curtain in the temple was torn, And it represents 
that through Christ we can now enter into God's presence and have right relationship with him. Whereas before we didn't. And if we would go into the Holy of Holies, we'd be dead. But that's not how it is anymore because of God's grace and his forgiveness and the righteousness he gives us when we turn to Jesus. So that's the second part of what's going on here at the cross. All right, the next verse in Luke, this is the first part of verse 46. It says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. All right, now we come to what Jesus says on the cross in this story. And again, that's the whole theme of our series. And so here's what's going on with this. All of us have a body that is eventually going to expire, stop working, and die. We all know this, okay? Our bodies have a shelf life. But all of us have a spirit inside of us that will live forever. This is how God has created us. We all have a spirit, we have a soul that will live forever. And so when our spirit dies, there's only one of two places our spirit can go. Either we go to heaven and be with Christ, or we go to hell separated from him. Those are the only two options. There's no door number three. And so what we have to understand is this statement, when Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, this is what the whole cross really is about, what its objective is. Okay, we talked about how the gospel, it all comes down to the cross, and kind of take that down a step further. The cross comes down to the fact that God is in the business of saving the souls of men. And this is what Jesus went to the cross for. It was to redeem people redeem their souls so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven, give us eternal life. That's what the whole cross is about. So when Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he is saying, Lord, I know I'm about to die, and I trust my spirit into your hands. And that's what we do when we turn to Christ. We're saying, Lord, I trust my spirit into your hands that I will be with you. Because this is what the cross is about. It is about Either we go to heaven with Jesus or we go to hell separated from him. And again, this kind of goes back to the high stakes of the cross. It doesn't get any higher in this for us because this is about the eternal placement of where we all go. And Jesus wants everybody on earth to go to heaven. Some people are going to accept him. Some are going to reject him. And those that accept him, they go to heaven. Those who reject him, they go to hell. This is just reality. It's not a fun reality. I don't like it. But God gets to set the rules, and I don't. But this is what the cross was about. It is about the salvation and redemption of me, a terrible sinner, and you, a terrible sinner, so that we could spend eternity with Jesus. This is what the cross is about. So that's the third part of what's taking place here. And this last part, this is verse 46, the second half. It says, when he had said this, he breathed his last. And so we come to it where Jesus, he actually dies. He dies. His body gave out, his heart gave out, and he died. And what's really important to understand here is that he died in your place and in my place. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So we deserve to die because of our sin. But Jesus goes to the cross so we wouldn't have to die for our sin. All right, yes, one day are we all going to die? Yes, but Jesus dies our death so that our spirit can live forever with him. And so just understand that Jesus died in your place, and he died in my place. 
you and I, all of us deserve, we should have been up on that cross, not him. But he did it in place so we wouldn't have to. And I can tell you, that's the kind of God I can follow and serve. And he is worth my life. And he's worth yours. And so, just remember, that's what Jesus really did. He died in your place. And all of those elements working together, that is what the cross is about, okay? The darkness that we saw at the beginning, that represents God's judgment. That's the judgment that we deserve because of our sin. But Jesus, the veil in the temple is torn so that we can now have right relationship with God and enter into his presence, all right? And that all of us have a spirit that will live forever. And it's either going to be in heaven with Christ or in hell separated from him. And that Jesus really did die in your place and in my place. And that is really what took place on the cross that day for you and for me. It's pretty incredible. I mean, there really aren't words that we have that can even capture how indescribable it is. Now, that's the first half of what takes place in these six verses. The second half is pretty neat, I think, because... What the second half shows, I believe, is how we are to properly respond to the cross. Okay, Jesus goes to the cross for us, but his death and all that took place demands a response from all of humanity. Okay, we have to do something with what Jesus did on the cross. And the second half of this passage shows us how to respond to Jesus and what he did. Specifically, it shows us how to respond properly. So we want to walk through this real quick. This is starting in verse 47. I'll read it. It says, The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And so a centurion is what is a, known as a Roman soldier. And the Romans were a polytheistic people. And all that means is they believed in a whole lot of gods. And so this polytheistic, total pagan Roman soldier, he just witnesses Jesus' death. And even through that action, he is able to recognize that Jesus is God. It says he praises God. And this is the first part in responding right to the cross. It is acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's acknowledging that he is God and there is no other, that he is Lord of all. Now, we believe as Christians that Jesus Christ is God. And every other religion, every other philosophy is totally wrong. And this Roman soldier... This pagan Roman soldier is able to recognize who Jesus is by witnessing his death. And so the first step in responding to the cross is acknowledging that Jesus is God and he is who he says he is. Verse 48, it says, When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. So there's a crowd of people there who see Jesus' death, and he dies. And it says, and it's kind of a strange phrase, it says, they beat their breast. What that means is they just pounded their chest with their hand. And this is actually an action and a sign of repentance. That's what's going on there. And so this is the second step. And the way you respond to the cross correctly is you repent of your sin. That you repent of your sin. Because the cross is about our sin being redeemed by God so that we can be saved. And our sin being paid for so that we can be saved. And we respond to the cross by repenting of our sin and turning from it. It is us recognizing that we're a sinner who needs a Savior that's only found in Jesus. And that's the second step as we repent. And lastly, verse 49, it says, But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. 
And so the crucifixion ends, the crowd starts to break up, but we still see some of Jesus' followers there. And it's mostly the women who followed him. And I will tell you this, that you read the New Testament, the women who followed Jesus in the Gospels were way stronger and had way more courage than the men who did. And uh, they were pretty awesome. And they are there at the crucifixion. But what we see is that his disciples, mostly the women, are there. His followers are present at his death. And this is the third step of responding to the cross. It is about becoming Jesus' follower and disciple. That's the objective, ultimately, of God's plan to spread the gospel. He says in Matthew 28, make disciples all over the earth. And so God saves us so that we become his disciples and his followers and we follow him and live for him on the earth. And that's the third step in responding rightly to the cross. It is becoming his follower. And those three steps, again, is acknowledging that Jesus is God and he is who he says he is. Secondly, you repent of your sins. And thirdly, you become his follower. And this is how we rightly respond to the cross. And so again, you kind of take this whole passage in its kind of totality. The cross, we see what Jesus did in those first three verses. And in the second half, we see how you respond to it. Now, I know that for most of us in this room, many of us, you have already given your life to Christ. And so I know that a lot of this is review, and that's okay. But there might be some of you in here that you've never surrendered to Jesus. But I want you to know that everything I just said is true. And what the Bible says, what Jesus did and who he is, is 100% true. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you need to do that. Because I promise you, Jesus is who he says he is, and he came to the cross to save you and redeem you. And it is about recognizing that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And it's only found in Jesus. And that to respond in the ways that we just said, how you respond rightly to the cross, today really can be the greatest day of your life. I can tell you without fail, the greatest day of my life is when Jesus saved me. And I've never been the same. Because you are made for God. You are made for Jesus. And you need to surrender your life to him. So I just wanted to put that on the table. So that is, that's the cross right there. And like we said, the cross is the heart of the gospel, and it really all comes down to what Jesus did on the cross. And so I hope that that was a helpful explanation, and that kind of gives you an idea of what really took place. And the reason we talked about this today is a couple of reasons. Number one, as followers of Jesus, we always need to know what Christ did for us. You know, that we need to grow in our knowledge of God. And so for ourselves, we owe it to ourselves to really know what Jesus did for us on the cross. But I'll say this, more importantly, we owe it to God to know what he did for us. Because Jesus gave his life and gave everything to save you and me. And I owe it to him to know what he did for me. And you owe it to him to really know what took place that day. And so the second reason we wanted to talk about this today was because we're doing this series on the seven last statements of Jesus leading up to Easter Sunday. And this series is we're focusing on the cross. And what we wanted to do today was, this is, um, we're going to take communion today. And this was the one Sunday we were going to take communion during this season leading up to Easter. And so we felt it appropriate to really just talk about the cross and unpack it. And so in just a second, we're going to come forward and take communion as a church family.